RTL Original Podcast. everyone and welcome to In Conversation with Lisa Burke where I talk to people living in Luxembourg, passing through Luxembourg or those who have valuable and interesting insights to share. Now today my guest is going to talk to us about perhaps a topic which is not yet hitting the headlines, the exponential increase in the electricity footprint of ICT in this decade. And with me to discuss this is Philippe Rechsteiner, who is CFO of Datacube, the world's first standalone 5G-ready edge data center system. Now, don't worry if you haven't understood all of those words. That's why I have Philippe with me. Welcome, Philippe. Thank you very much, Lisa. I'm very pleased to have this conversation with you. I will be very pleased to explain you in details what is the situation and the problem we are trying to fix in Datacube. Exactly right. So, well, let's start with that. Uh, what is an edge data center? Yes. So uh, we are all familiar with that internet. We are all using our smartphones massively to be connected and using internet. You can do that also with a laptop or a tablet. But at the end, you are communicating with the data center. And uh, to make a long story short, I would say that you have the big ones that we call hyperscales. So 10, 15, 20 megawatts of power. And then you have what we call the edge data center, which are smaller, uh, one to two megawatt max. And they are located near the end users in order to replicate the most popular content and to reduce transmission costs in particular. Tell us about this problem with the electricity footprint of ICT by 2030. I've been looking at some of the statistics and the graphs that you've shown me and it's it's gobsmacking actually uh, because I hadn't really thought about the amount of electricity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I use when I'm using my computer laptop or my phone. But yes, talk us through the, the data. So when we talk about ICT, it includes also all the devices that we need to connect to Internet. It's not only the network, Internet itself, but it's also the devices used to be connected. But yes, Internet is so popular. In the last decade, the number of users has grown exponentially and it is continuing even accelerating because now we have what we call the machine to machine. So not the uh, human beings using internet, but a sensor communicating with the data center, for instance, for reporting a live situation uh, from a, a local uh, location. And this volume of data, of course, needs more and more cables, data centers, infrastructure to answer the need of the users. So yes, the impact is significant today. It's between eight to 10% of the electricity globally produced. Which Today? Is, yes, which is already massive. Mm -hmm. I think concerning the CO2 emission, we are not far from its equivalent to the airlines, to the, the impact of all the airlines in the world. So it's it starts to be really significant. And this is where it becomes interesting because we hear so much about airlines and how they must reduce their carbon footprint. But we haven't really heard much about the ICT sector. Yes, that's true. And the big difference with the airlines is that Internet is going to continue to increase significantly. If we don't do anything, the best and the more reasonable projections uh, show that in 2030, 
it could use a half of the electricity globally produced in the world. Which, which is, is a shocking statistic. Absolutely. And I must go back to the airlines just to say, of course, it's not entirely comparable because, of course, airlines need a fuel, yes. uh, which at the moment produces and carbon dioxide. Physical passengers. So there is, there is a limit at the moment <laughs> that you don't have in the digital world. Correct. But also when it comes to the electricity source that can be changed. Yes. And the issue, as you know, is that uh, in the world, uh, electricity is mainly produced by uh, burning coal, which it's uh, very negative for the environment. It generates a lot of CO2 emissions, which uh, we are all trying to limitate. Yeah, I've got some um, stats here that you sent to me in notes. The electricity footprint of ICT in 2030 could be 51% of global electricity and contribute up to 23% of globally released greenhouse gas emissions. And within that, data centres account for about 36%, data transport 32%, Wi-Fi 11%, devices production 11%, devices 8%, wireless networks 234, 5G 2%. So that's just a breakdown. Perhaps it's gone over people's heads, but it's just to say that it's going to massively increase. Yes, and what is really interesting in this breakdown that you have explained is the two main contributors are the data centers and data transmission. It was a surprise to me mm-hmm. uh, to see that data transmission represents almost a third of the electricity consumed by internet. The big thing is with edge data centers by putting in place, moving from a a very centralized architecture like we have today of internet with those big data centers across the US, Europe, Asia, etc. Of course, they try to be as efficient as possible, but unfortunately, due to the increase of the volume, the results are too poor to bend the curve at the end. So by putting in place a distributed architecture with multiple edge data centers, you will promote local usage of any digital information. So a little bit like uh, when we talk about food, as close to the crop as possible. Absolutely, (laughs) it's exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So you will reduce significantly the transmission cost uh, from a financial and environmental uh, perspective, which is very important. I'm thinking about the Netflix, YouTube, all the big large content providers. It's very important for them to reduce those costs and of course to reduce the impact on the environment. The issue is that Edge Data Center is still expensive to build. And you need some space in uh, urban areas. And as you know, uh, scarcity of available space is a very big problem. In In Luxembourg. uh, In Luxembourg, (laughs) in London, in Paris, Mm -hmm. in all major cities. Yeah, that's true. And this is what we have tried to fix with uh, DataCube, is that you can produce a standalone edge data center in a very small format that can be deployed internally or externally. So you can repurpose an existing building, for instance, into a hedge data center. So you skip the construction of a concrete shell, which is also contributing a lot to uh, gas emissions. Mm-hmm. And you deliver in six months instead of two years in average. Mm-hmm. The capex also is reduced. So you can multiply the number of edge data centers because today one of the issues is that if you have to spend 10 million euros, for one megawatt of, uh, for a data center, that's still problematic if you need to deploy thousands of them. Mm-hmm. And when we think about Europe at the moment, where are the big data centers located? Uh, most of them, this is what we call the flap market, Frankfurt, London, Amsterdam and Paris. So this is where all big players, and when I'm talking about big players, most of them are Americans. This is an American world, unfortunately. This is an industry that has been completely, uh, how could I say? Dominated. Dominated, yes, that's correct, uh, by US players. And um, yeah, they need uh, hundreds of megawatts of uh, new data centers. But actually, DataCube is founded in Cambridge, I believe. Correct. So DataCube is, at the beginning, is an uh, uh, English adventure. 
in Cambridge. David Keegan, who is the inventor of the module, uh, developed in Cambridge. That's correct. I had the opportunity to join the team and invest in DataCube in March. Uh, 2021, so almost a year ago. And we have successfully raised 26 million euros in November. And we have decided to relocate uh, the headquarters in Luxembourg. Oh, well, that's very good news for Luxembourg. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, hence your presence here today. Now, um, when it comes to our data, and we're talking about something that most of us, I must say, uh, well, me, and I think I represent a few people out there, a few of our listeners, we don't think too much about where our data is stored. How safe is our data? Um, I think that this problem is, of course, extremely important. This is what we call data sovereignty. But I would say that the vast majority of the players in this industry are extremely vigilant on this aspect. And I know that the rumor or the fear that uh, someone is spying your or taking advantage of your data because it is located somewhere in a data center, for me, is uh, exaggerated. Okay, so that's a little bit of thinking about the cybersecurity side, which is certainly one major aspect. Sure. But you mentioned the cities Paris, London, Amsterdam and Frankfurt. Okay, I was also thinking about uh, natural disasters like fire or mm -hmm. flooding, for instance. I mean, earthquakes are not really known in those cities. But when it comes to natural disasters, how, how secure are they? Hmm. Uh, that's a very good point. So the, the, most of the time, the answer to that problem is to replicate the content in another data center at 200 kilometers, for instance, of distance. But is that first done? One. Sorry? Is that actually done with our data? Yes. Oh, so our data is replicated? Yes, but still in a secure way, because even for big players, it is very important for their reputation that they can guarantee the safety of your data. But you're then saying that our data would be replicated between one of those four European cities? For instance, yes. And that would also cost energy? Absolutely. And so if it was replicated in a closer edge data center? That would be much better. For the environment? For the environment and financially speaking also for the large content providers. So that's the reason why Hedge is the next big thing because, yes, like in the real world, we need to consume locally, I would say, and to reduce as much as possible access to data and, uh, and to lower the transmission cost. I'm going to take a very simple example. If you want to download the last video on Netflix... You don't really care if it is based, if the video is coming from uh, Frankfurt, Paris or London. I would say most people don't even know. Yes. <laughs> but if the most popular content are located here in Luxembourg for Luxembourgish customers, you reduce significantly, drastically the transmission cost and the impact for the environment. So you don't lower the quality and the benefit of Internet. It's just that the way the architecture is put in place is much better for everyone. And let's go back to something else that you said, which is that these hyper data centers, that market is really owned by the Americans. Mm -hmm. it, it comes up again and again in stories I hear, interviews I do, that Europe is not fast enough. Correct. Unfortunately, uh, to be, to be, if you allow me to be blunt, yes, uh, please, we, we, I prefer we, that. <laughs> we missed, we missed the target in this industry. We were very good with uh, smartphones and GSM in the 90s because we put in place immediately, I'm speaking at the European level, we put in place all the technical requirements for deploying this technology rapidly. And if you remember in the 90s, if you look at movies in the US, they were still using very big uh, cell phones when we were already in Europe far more advanced. So we are able in Europe to develop very innovative technology. The main critic, I would say, is that we are risk-adverse. We are too risk-adverse compared to the US. 
And I hear this again and again, too, when it comes to investors and investing. We're moving slightly off the topic of the environmental part of DataCube and Edge data centres. But it's a very important aspect for many of our listeners who may well be investors. Yes. And for me, and I think for many entrepreneurs, it's a shame because we have very good people, very talented people. But some of those talents are wasted just because we are bypassed by uh, other players, Asian or US players, who can be more reactive than the European ones. And so how did you raise the money for DataCube? It's always a very difficult process to be transparent with you. It's always uh, challenging. It requires a lot of work, a lot of explanations, reporting, which is, of course, uh, totally fair. I mean, this is uh, we are using uh, somebody else's money, so we have to be extremely vigilant and credibility, of course, is extremely important. But I really mean when raising the money in Europe, European money, is it? Yes, absolutely. We raised 26 million euros with Argreen, which is a, a French investment fund. Uh, and I want, given your background and you know about investments, mm. how does that compare to your knowledge of the American investment market and how quickly was it raised here in Europe compared to what it could have been, you think, in America? So it took nine months uh, to raise 26 million euros. Most of the professionals of the sector will tell you that's relatively fast. In Europe? In Europe, yes. If you go to the US, based on my experience, uh, less than six months, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> and it would be not 26 million, but maybe 50 million USDs. When we hear this and, you know, in the world of investment and entrepreneurs, again and again, certain cities, Luxembourg's one of them, want uh, countries, let's say, not just cities. They want to appeal to entrepreneurs and they want mm -hmm. to say we're great places for entrepreneurship. I can think of a, a whole handful of cities, if not all cities, would like to encourage entrepreneurship within their workforce. But again and again, I hear that in Europe, things are slow, people are risk averse in the main. How can that mentality be changed? That's a very good question and a very difficult to answer to because I think it is, as you said, a cultural thing and it will take decades to change the, the mindset of people and especially uh, uh, decision makers. So then you as an entrepreneur, why didn't you move to America or Asia? Yeah. Good question. But uh, yes, we absolutely wanted with the rest of the team to raise the money in England or in Luxembourg, but in Europe, that's for sure. Um, moving to the US is always also another challenge because you have the, the cultural gap uh, between European and American people. Yeah, you have other challenges to face. We, we wanted to stay in, in Europe, but... It's true to say that it takes, uh, it requires a lot of effort to convince, just to convince people about a new technology. And it's even harder when you're working and producing a hardware component like uh, DataCube. Uh, DataCube is very interesting because it's a mix between hardware and software. And uh, putting in, in place a, an equipment like we have deployed in Cambridge, it was in June 2021, uh, so very recently, and it cost half million euros to deploy. So with our own pocket money, we have invested everything to make it happen. That's a challenge also. And you have to believe in your technology. But we have done it to demonstrate to other investors that it's true, it works, it's live, it's connected. 
And now we need uh, additional investors to scale up the business. So that's a call out for anybody listening who wants to invest. What sort of pocket money are you looking for? <laughs> What, uh, for, for, for the moment, how many zeros? Uh, no, yeah, for the moment, yes, clearly with uh, 26 million euros, we can fund the first phase of development uh, of DataCube. But to be uh, to be honest with you, yes, I do believe that DataCube can become a game changer in the data center industry, even if we are not American, even if we are small, <laughs> even if we are a newcomer, because our capacity again to for instance repurpose an existing building in a urban area skipping the construction of a concrete shell delivering in six months instead of two years reducing the capex plus the co2 emission by half compared to a conventional solution will be extremely useful because again we all need collectively not just the industry but to install data centers locally near the end users for uh, low latency applications for reducing transmission cost etc I find it hard to believe that um, DataCube are doing this in a vacuum and there's nobody else building an edge data center. Who are your competitors? Uh, we have a lot of competitors and very, uh, very big and powerful ones. And where are they based? Most of them, especially on the, uh, on the equipment side, are based uh, in Europe, which is a good thing. Uh, but also, of course, you have a large players in the US. I would say the advantage of DataCube, but like all startups and, and small companies, is that we are more uh, agile than those big players. Those big players, their day-to-day business is to answer the requests from their customers, to deliver the equipment that have been ordered. The R&D is not always the most important part of their activity. And this is where a company such as DataCube can make a difference. Just to maybe illustrate the, 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 the problem, I would say, uh, if you allow me to be a little bit provocative, but Internet uh, today is uh, the volume of data on Internet. 80% of this data is made of video. So, um, so if people want really to make a difference and having an impact by reducing the impact of ICT on the environment, I would say that maybe having always a high quality video is not something extremely important, especially when you're watching a, a movie on a smartphone. That is really interesting. That's so in simple. fact, to help the environment, we should produce less video, perhaps, if it's not necessary. And yes. if we're watching something, perhaps not in major high definition. But yeah, you're correct. But I think that people will continue to take pictures and do videos. So I don't expect people to reduce that. And keep in mind also, Lisa, that you have uh, uh, still hundreds of millions of people who don't have uh, access to internet or yeah. not using a smartphone yet. So as soon as they will have access to a smartphone and being connected to internet, of course, they will take pictures and uh, shoot videos. Uh, that's uh, human, I would say. Yeah, and we, of course, we But have this dichotomy where it connects the whole world, which is a wonderful thing. And we've got... I think it's Elon Musk putting satellites up and goodness knows who else to, yes. so that we can have connectivity across the world. So there's, there's amazing sides, upsides as well. But if we can help the environment, of course, I think most people nowadays really want that to be part of our lives and choices. Absolutely. And I truly believe also at the end, if uh, we, we think smartly, I would say the, the architecture of, uh, of Internet, and this is what will happen. I am very optimistic about that. You will see that uh, new technologies and Internet in particular will be part of the solution to the problem we face today. My final question, has Luxembourg bought DataCube's centre yet? Not yet. Not because Luxembourg was not interested, but because today the first customers we have are in England. No surprise, because of course, <laughs> the technology is coming from Cambridge. We are going to deploy uh, soon uh, in France. And I hope that next step, so second half of this year, I think, would be in Luxembourg and Germany. 
Thank you so much, Philippe, Thank for you your well. expertise as an entrepreneur, as CFO of DataCube, and for really breaking down the environmental issues that many of us may not yet have thought about. It's a great pleasure to have you here at RTL. Thank you very much, Lisa. Super.